Matthew 2, 1 through 8. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people of Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Matthew five twenty one twenty two, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Ephesians twenty six twenty seven. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. This is the word of the Lord. Every year I ask myself, how do you follow into the nativity play? Wasn't that wonderful? <clears throat> Just great. Uh, my goodness, was it Lydia White doing the, uh, and it came to pass in those days, and Amelia did that. Okay, Amelia did Well, that beat Linus uh, in the Christmas tree thing. Beats Charlie Brown any day. And I loved, was it Jack who did the, presented the, kind of like Lion King style. I just love that. It was just great. Well, uh, I always love watching children's nativity plays. I remember <laughs> the ones that we had at my second pastor at Heritage Creek Baptist Church, kind of out in the country a little ways from Louisville, Kentucky. And it was always challenging, and it always put me in a grinchy mood, at least in the rehearsal times. We had a van ministry that went around to pick up kids from all over the county who were from lower socioeconomic areas, really impoverished kids who needed to know about Jesus and who needed uh, our ministry. And they were just great, and they blessed us in many ways. But when it came down to um, rehearsals with the nativity play, it got pretty rough and tumble. I'm not going to lie. I have memories of, of you know one of the heavenly hosts putting Joseph in a headlock, uh, I remember the wise men dangling the baby Jesus doll from the balcony. Come on, kids, come on down. Uh, I remember uh, the innkeeper crying that he wanted his mommy the whole time. I remember Mary uh, and one of the heavenly hosts getting into a slap fight, which just didn't look right. Uh, anyway, I, I remember all that, and I remember what a grinchy mood it would put me in, but it was so cool because every time when we actually got to the play, they were on. They were on point. It's like they knew that, okay, we're doing the play now, and there's a sacredness to it, a holiness to it, and they did it wonderfully. It's as if they knew, to quote a certain book, maybe Christmas means just a little bit more, which leads us to the second in a series on Christmas classics, Finding Advent in the Big Screen. Dr. Seuss wrote his book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, back in uh, 1957, 
And it was named not long after that by a society of publishers and librarians as one of the most 100 most important books ever published. Think about that. One of the 100 most important books. They wound up making a cartoon of it in 1966. How many of you all have seen that? Okay, now I'm going to tell you, we're not going to do the Jim Carrey thing today. As my wife and I discussed it this morning when we were in deep theological thought, that movie is entertaining, and that's fine. But, the, you know, the cartoon is the Grinch, you know? There's a special place in my heart for it. It follows the book very closely. Uh, CBS ran it for 22 straight years, and then they ferried it out to, to different, um, different networks. I think I watched it every year. It was my favorite one. It beat Rudolph and Frosty the Snowman and all those other ones. It, it was it, and, and, and I just loved it so much. It was narrated, as you know, by whom? Does anybody know? Boris Karloff, who was the original Frankenstein monster, and he narrated it and did the Grinch's voice so wonderfully. And by the way, uh, you remember the song in the middle, You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Oh, wow. (laughs) You remember it very well. The fellow who sang that also did the voice for many years of what? Tony the Tiger. Did you know that? I'm so glad I blessed you with that information and... uh, I hope you'll take that home with you from the sermon. No, but, but it's, it really is just such a wonderful, wonderful uh, production. We'll see a couple of clips uh, from that uh, in, in the minutes to follow. I want to briefly address two subjects based on sort of the Grinch, but even more so on the, the passages that the Russians just read just a moment ago. I want to talk about the original Grinch of Christmas and then the Grinch in ourselves. First of all, the original Grinch of Christmas, you know, the original Grinch who really did try to steal Christmas. But I'm going to begin, first of all, with a clip about the uh, fictional Grinch from, uh, from this wonderful production here. Go ahead, Stephen. Every Who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Oh, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that he should. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve, hating the Who's. Staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown at the warm, lighted windows below in their town. For he knew every Who down in Whoville beneath was busy now, hanging a holly Who And they're hanging their stockings. He snarled for the sneer. Tomorrow is Christmas. It's practically here. Then he growled with his Grinch fingers, nervously drumming. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Do you know anybody like that? (laughs) I love the first shot of him. He looks at you like, what are you looking at? I just love that. Well, the Grinch is funny. That's a funny character. But there's nothing funny about the original Grinch, who really did try to stop Christmas from coming, a real-life Grinch named Herod the Great. At least that's what he called himself. Uh, Let's read uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 to set this up. 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. They were astrologers. They studied the stars. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Why was everyone in Jerusalem disturbed along with King Herod. Well, you have to know something about King Herod. Anytime the self-proclaimed King Herod the Great was disturbed, everybody was because they knew that lives were in danger, literally. Uh, He ruled over Palestine for some 40 years, proclaimed himself King Herod the Great. He really was a vassal, a puppet of the Roman Empire, but he ruled and kept a lot of peace, but he did it ruthlessly. I mean, he did it by threats, intimidation, and especially just by executing people. He was insanely suspicious and paranoid. He had two of his sons, Aristobulus and Alexander, put to death because he thought that they were threats to his throne. And then he uh, had a dozen wives, and he had his favorite wife, Mary Amney, executed because he thought she was uh, conniving with one of the sons to take over the throne, which was not the case. Um, when he was named uh, the procurator of that area, uh, he actually had all the members of the Sanhedrin except for two executed. That's 69 of the top religious leaders in Jerusalem. He just had them put to death like that. He spared, according to the historian Josephus, he spared two of them for personal reasons. I just love that. Well, hey, thanks a lot. For personal reasons. He was bad news. Augustus Caesar, who was Caesar at the time, was quoted as saying, it's better to be Herod's sow than his son. Better to be one of his pigs than his sons because he was so, so paranoid. True story, on his deathbed, he rounded up or had rounded up hundreds of the religious leaders in and around Jerusalem and took them and held them hostage in the Hippodrome where they used to have horse races and the like. And he had them held captive there. He knew he was dying. He was terminally ill at the time. And he wanted there to be mourning on the day that he died because he knew they wouldn't weep for him, but they would be weeping for others. And so when he died, he ordered his leaders to have those people put to death. Now, thankfully, when he died, the leader said, okay, he's gone. Let's drop this. And all those folks were let go. Now, the fictional Grinch, it says, had a heart, what, two times too small? Uh, You study Herod and you think, you know, Did he have a heart at all? And then he hears about this newborn king. You know he doesn't want any of that. He doesn't want that at all. He wants to do whatever it takes to stop that from happening, stop Christmas from coming. He finds out that the baby is to be born in Bethlehem, and so it's not out of character at all when you understand who Herod was. Wasn't out of character at all for him to order, what, the slaughter of all the male infants two years old or younger in and around Bethlehem. He did that. But God protects his son Jesus through, we call them the Magi. Let's read verses 7 and 8 there. When Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared, then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. We know that his motives were not good there at all. Now, some people wonder if we should call these folks wise men because they really were astrologers, people who read the stars. But you can tell that they were wise in a certain way, and so their term is appropriate. I mean, they were wise enough to bow reverently to Jesus, the baby Jesus. They did not do so for Herod the great. They probably didn't know much about him, but they probably had this sense of this guy is bad news. 
They also were wise enough to heed the command that God brought to them later on. As you see in verse 12, he tells them uh, not to give any more information to Herod, and they heed that command. In fact, they go home by another way so they don't even have to see Herod anymore. Herod was the original Grinch who really did try to steal Christmas. But I want us now to turn and look at ourselves for just a moment and talk about the Grinch in us. Just a minute ago, I asked the question, you know, do you know any Grinches? Oh, you do, I do, yes. But let's talk about the Grinch in ourselves. Our temptation is to look at Herod as someone as completely different from ourselves. And I'm talking about Herod, ruthless, evil Herod. He's the bad guy. You know, we make him the bad guy in the story. And we connect more with Mary or Joseph or or the wise men in the story. But I think Flannery O'Connor is right. She has a very good quote which says, It is hard to make your adversaries real people unless you recognize yourself in them. It's a good point. You know, we might not be as ruthless as Herod was, but you and I can be unkind and mean-spirited, and carry grudges toward people. And keep in mind that Herod was born as an innocent baby, as an innocent child, but somewhere along the way, he gave in to his baser instincts and kind of lost his conscience. It became numb. His heart started shrinking. Well, our actions might not be as bad as his, but we can identify identify with the Grinch-like attitudes and actions of Herod, which leads to an important question. You know, are, are, am I letting my heart be more shriveled than it needs to be during this Advent time? Or am I opening my heart to the joy and the love of Christmas, even to the point of being open to being reconciled with someone whom I deem a Grinch or who makes me feel Grinchy? <laughs> are you open to that? Because we need to do that because, again, you had the Grinch who had a change of heart eventually, as you know, and we'll see in a minute. But we've got to guard our hearts and make sure that our hearts operate as they should in a way that glorifies Christ and mirrors his own love. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Yeah, you know a Grinch, I know. and We know people who are bitter and unkind, sometimes even toxic to be around. But in what way are you a Grinch at present? And you're tempted to say, oh, I'm not being a Grinch, come on. I'm I'm not ever hardly a Grinch, but you're probably a Grinch about something even now, perhaps towards someone. We all have a Grinch inside of us, and all of us are dealing with something that makes us Grinchy, and oftentimes it is unresolved anger that we're dealing with, which brings us to what Jesus had to say about that in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. I mean, that's one of the top ten, right? And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But look at what Jesus adds to this. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now, does the Bible condemn anger per se, the emotion of anger per se? No. Later on, Paul says in Ephesians, what? Be angry, but do not sin, right? Uh, do not let the sun go down on your anger. You've got to understand the word angry there is in, uh, the, it connotes present action, What it literally means is one who is continuously angry. One who does what? Harbors anger, nurtures anger. The best translation is the New English Bible. It says anyone who nurses his anger toward another one. You ever held a grudge toward somebody? You ever held a grinch toward somebody? I've I've made a day. You can hold a grudge toward somebody, but sometimes it even uh, devolves into being a grinch toward somebody. You know what that is? You're not just holding a grudge against them. You're kind of hoping something bad will happen to them. You know, you're happy when something sad happens to them. 
you kind of go, oh, what a shame. You, you know what I'm saying? You've been there. It's like the one who tried to steal Christmas from somebody. We can do that as well. You're actually happy when someone is sad. But now the who's down in Whoville, they could have been grinchy and angry and bitter when they saw that it appeared as if Christmas was taken away. But the Grinch really didn't steal Christmas, did he? After making off with all the Christmas toys and even the roast, what, beast? He made off with all that. He goes up to the, to the pinnacle of, of Mount Crumpet. He wants to listen to all the crying and whining going on down there in Whoville. But that's not what he hears, is it? Let's see what he does here. To the who's he was grinchily humming. They're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. They're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two. Then the who's down in Whoville will all cry, boo-hoo. That's a noise, grinned the Grinch, that I simply must hear. He paused, and the Grinch put a hand to his ear. And he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. sounded glad. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages. He puzzled and puzzled till his puzzle was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Scary when you've got all that memorized. So after the Grinch realizes that Christmas means more than superficial things, his heart grows three times that day, it says, and he races back down the mountain, down into Whoville. He brings back all the toys, and at dinner, what does he do? Do you remember? He, the Grinch, carves the roast beast. He himself does it. He has a change of heart. 
And God can deliver us from our own heart trouble, even around Advent, that causes us to act like Grinches. I love the way Ezekiel, the prophet, says in Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I will remove your stony heart from your body and replace it with a living one. That's exactly what Jesus did out of his death and his resurrection. He replaced our hearts with a new one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, has a new heart. He can give you a new and living heart, and when you have that new and living heart, you have everlasting life, everlasting joy, everlasting community with others. It is the greatest of gifts, and it matters not how much you have or don't have. It doesn't matter if you've been able to gain something or if something has been stolen from you. You have reason to sing like the Who's, which begs the question, this Advent, are you going to be a Grinch or a Who? And and especially in terms of that one person whom you could maybe be reconciled with, uh, get over, or some issue from the past or the present that you just need to get over and move through and reflect the joy that Christ has given you. Especially in dealing with other people, as it says in Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27. I love these encouraging words by Paul. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you, while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. You know, instead of being grinchy, will you make room in your heart for the Christ-like love that he offered to you so freely on the cross and offer it to others? The Grinch tried to steal Christmas, but he had a change of heart, at least the fictional one. The real Grinch tried to stop Christmas from coming, but it came It came just the same. Jesus was born, he died, he rose. Tragically, the real Grinch, Herod the Great, did not have a change of heart, and he died, determining his own destiny. So I hope and pray that the Christ who is here and now, who is hoping that this very moment you can let go of some of that grudge, some of that anger, some of that toxicity of, of whatever you're dealing with because of something that's occurred to you or some, something someone has said about you, whatever it might be, you can let that go. And like the Who's, <laughs> sing about the joy of the real Christmas that we have through Christ. Let's pray together. Almighty God, even during Advent, and as we anticipate the birth of your Son, sometimes we're challenged to be a bit better than we are because we know that we can be. Help us not to let anything that's going on in our lives now rob us of the joy of celebrating the birth of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.